today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined to preview the KU Iowa State game by John Walters, who's the voice of the Iowa State Cyclones coming up later this hour. Clark Campbell, the head coach for the KU Swim and Dive team, will join us at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. We've got plenty of KU football talk today. We've got plenty of KU audio to share for you today as it was media availability day with Andy Kolnicki, Brian Borland, the two coordinators speaking along with some players for KU. So we'll get to plenty of that throughout the show here today. The wait is over, Kansas. DraftKings Sportsbook is here, and the NFL action is in full swing. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Also right now, I'm looking at the uh, KU Iowa State line and everything. They don't have any of the player props up yet. That usually comes later in the week. But the team prop for Kansas right now, 27.5 points. You can also get them at 13 and a half if you just want to bet on the first half. How do you feel about either of those? Oh, 13 and a half, over 13 and a half points in the first half? Yes. I love the that. second half as well. That's that's. I think over 13 and a half is great. 27 and a half for the game. We'll, we'll talk more about this. Iowa State's defense is actually very, very good statistically. They've been really good so far this season, but they haven't really played anybody besides Baylor. So I don't know how skewed that might be. But, I mean, obviously, given KU's, KU offense's track record, that's looking Pretty pretty juicy. Pretty pretty interesting. Although I will say, uh, do you remember what it was for the Duke game? What the team total over was? Uh, it was like 36 and a half. So they See, went they under. Wouldn't, mm-hmm. even, uh, they wouldn't end up even hitting that. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, I would say it's got I'm, a good defense. I'm very interested in the first half, 13 and a half. That seems pretty good to me. Yeah, the, the first half one is minus 110. The second half one is minus 115. So you probably are better off doing the first half, but it could be an adjustment period going up against a very unique Iowa State defense, and that'll be uh, certainly a challenge for the offense this week. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KLWN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800 800- 522-4700. 21 and olds are physically present in Kansas. Deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued as is free bets. One boost per eligible game. 10 plus leg required for 100% boost. Opt-in required. Parlay and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Huge news today, Derek. Huge, oh, gosh. Huge I swear, you've news. had huge news at the beginning of every show, and I'm starting to wonder how huge <laughs> the news actually is. Huge news today okay. is Travis Goff. It's his birthday. Okay, that actually happy birthday, is Travis Goff. Um, yeah, happy birthday, Travis Goff, who is like I don't know how old he quickly is, earning goat status. He can't be that old. He looks yeah. like a very he young looks, dude. Yeah, he looks pretty good. Um, yeah. a spry, spry guy. 
Yeah, I mean, with what he's done so far, you have the the early returns of the Lance Leipold hire, what he's been able to do with, you know, it seems like they're kickstarting the the uh, stadium renovations and upgrades and everything, getting the stadium filled out, like doing some things that have added to the game day experience or getting people in the stands. We've uh, obviously haven't seen the results or anything of the new hire for KU on the baseball front, but by all accounts so far, that seems like that's going to be a great hire as well. So Dan Fitzgerald just, uh, or, <laughs> no, I was thinking of the baseball coach, Travis Goff just, just uh, <laughs> is the gift that keeps on giving for KU. So yeah, happy birthday. To Travis Goff. See, that was huge news. That was I huge I can't news. believe you doubted. First of all, hmm. all of the huge news that I bring to the show <laughs> is, is indeed huge news. Don't well, get it twisted. Also, well, a quick update on yesterday's yeah. huge news about okay. the New York Mayor Eric Adams. I went to the mayor of New York's website, and I, I sent them a message. Did you I really? Said, yes. I said, I said, hey, Kansas has a brand. 4-0 football. National champions. Do, do you do some a, research? Do you actually expect a response there? Do you I, actually think he'll read it? I don't. Well, I I I doubt he'll read it. I think somebody <laughs> might read it. Some part-time worker, some intern he yeah, has who some, goes to you know secretary. Syracuse or NYU <laughs> is going to read it and have to read all these terrible messages from people that they didn't do it. Listen, anything, I was but. no, I was very listen. I was very respectful in my message. I said, <laughs> okay. "Hey, respectfully, some, sir, I hate you. <laughs> respectfully, just do some research before you say there's no brand in Kansas." I love that you went through the effort of actually doing that, though. I will definitely give you an update if I get a response. Okay, please do. I actually am like on pins and needles. I, I want there to be a response here. Maybe we can get him on the show, and you and him can just, uh, you know, spat at each other. We, we might have to record it before the show in case there's any like cuss words lobbed out or anything. Well, okay, listen. I don't. The only problem I have with the East Coast is Eastern Time. I don't really have any other real problems with it. I mean, it's fine, other than the Eastern Time. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, okay. I've only been in New York once, and my first reaction when I got there was, why is everyone running? <laughs> I got to the airport, and everyone's just running around. I'm like, why is everyone going so fast? What is happening? It was just pure chaos. It was, it I was think, crazy. Yeah, that's the best way to describe it. I did also, I went to, while I was in New York, I went to like a hole-in-the-wall, you know, restaurant, re like, I don't, I don't know what they call them, whatever, like, shop, restaurant thing. Like a and what do you mean restaurants? I feel it was like, like that's a sandwich a, place, like a sandwich. Oh, like a but deli? it was like a no, but it was like a I, I don't know. It was a local place though. Because I was like, yeah. okay, okay. So, anyways, I go in there, and there was a lady who was clearly like had lived in Brooklyn or in New York like her whole entire life, and I was I think I was actually wearing something from Kansas or something, and so mm -hmm. she started talking to me, and I conversed with this lady for like probably a good five minutes. I don't know a single word she said. Her New York accent was so thick that I could not understand a word she was saying. But we had a nice conversation. She laughed a lot. I laughed a lot. Didn't know what she said. Uh, yeah, she probably was like, yeah, this idiot here with his, you know, basic accent. But yeah, I was like, I was like legitimately stunned when I first got to the airport in New York the first time I was there just by like the pure chaotic energy of everyone that was there. Everyone was just running around like just like I understand like. I, I knew that that was, like, a thing of New York, I guess, where people just, they move really fast. I don't know. Or, like, you know, they're always, like, hustling. But, like, I was still just so shocked by that. Because, you know, obviously the one of the trademarks of Kansas slash Midwest is, you know, everyone's pretty laid back. Nobody's really in a big rush to get anywhere. Complete opposite. Complete opposite. Okay. Well, right, we have we spent too up? much time talking yeah, we New really York. Have. <laughs> we really um, have. 
I, I want to talk a little bit here for KU as we're now a third of the way through the season. Maybe players that, whether it was preseason expectations or whatnot, that were surprised haven't carved out more of a role on this team. I uh, should probably mention now, like Jarrett Paul transferring away. He was a guy who came in as a transfer, uh, was playing kind of sparingly and in, in different he was, roles. He was on the two deep, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was. I think he was an or at one of the, uh, yeah. I forget if it was the corner or safety spots, but yeah. he was kind of a jack of all trades like DB. It was nice to have him be able to plug and play at different spots, but he also wasn't like playing huge snaps. You don't like to lose players because who knows if there's going to be an injury down the road or whatnot. But that's gone. There have been some rumors about Gavin Potter. We won't really go too much into that till I guess something officially happens there. Um, but certainly to me, the one that sticks out the most, it's got to be Kai Thomas, right? You brought this guy in. He led Minnesota, who was a nine-win team last year, who's really good this year, in rushing yards a season ago. He wins bowl game MVP in his final game there, and he's struggled to even find the field. That's got to be the biggest surprise that he does not have a bigger role on this team. Yeah, and after the game, Lance Leipold said that he was available in an emergency-only situation, so he apparently suffered an injury uh, at some point that Lance Leipold described as his lower extremity, which do with that what you will. Uh, so, you know, obviously dealing with an injury, but even before the injury, you're right, he was obviously very much struggling to get on the field. And, and honestly, I was doing some thinking about this, and Andy Kolnicki, I thought, made, said something very telling, actually, at today's press conference, which we'll hear from here in a little bit, but I'll just give this a little snippet right now. Somebody asked him a question. I don't remember what the question was. But as part of his response, he said, when it comes to the skill players, this just next guy's out there. And the way that – and the the how casually he said it and the way that he said it, it almost made it seem like Andy Kolnicki, from his perspective, is calling plays. And it's like it doesn't even matter what skill player is on the field. He's just calling the plays, and it's next man up, whatever skill guy's out there. So it, it doesn't even – it's like in his like the way that I read that answer was that in his mind it doesn't even matter whether it's Daniel Highshaw, whether it's De- Devin Neal, whether it's Kai Thomas, whether it's Savion Morrison. That that was I I don't know if that was the wrong way that I took that, but that I thought that was an interesting little tidbit of how he said it and what he's and how he what his response to that was. And so yeah, I think there is this question of you know Daniel Highshaw has emerged certainly as as a guy who's a really hard runner. We know how good Devin Neal is, and even Savion Morrison has gotten involved and. And, and again, we talked about it. Like at the end of the day, with the amount of depth of talent that KU has at running back, you were probably going to have some talented guys that were not going to be getting as many touches. And for the time being, it it seems like that guy might be Kai Thomas. But I don't think that that means that at some point later in the season, Kai Thomas won't have a breakout game or won't have a a couple games where he gets the ball a little bit more. Uh, it's just I don't know. It's just one of those things right now. And and again, I think maybe from from the higher up coaching standpoint. It kind of seems like it may not even matter who it is. It's just next next guy out there. You know who's who's got their helmet on. Who's who's on the field, and so maybe and also obviously that whatever injury Kai Thomas is dealing with has cl- clearly hindered him as well from getting on the field. Also, so hopefully he can get healthy and have a chance to get back on the field again. But but yeah, I think we had to have assumed that this would this was always going to happen. But I think preseason we probably would have picked you know Devin Neal and Kai Thomas to be the top two guys, and then Savion Morrison and then. Daniel Hyshaw, and instead it's kind of totally different right now. But yeah. not in a negative way, obviously. Well, I, I mean, for Kai, though, specifically, I mean, you're talking about 11 carries all season long so far and just 25 rushing yards. So he's not even on pace to get 100 over the course of the season. You're right. There is yeah, going to be... I think we talked about it after the Tennessee Tech game where mm-hmm. it seemed like it was just kind of unlucky. He was getting the ball on plays that 
<laughs> the rest of the right. offense wasn't doing very well. Yeah, so like I, you're right. There should still be an opportunity there, but it's just been an unfortunate season, and um, it's got to be tough for him too. With you know going from the situation he was in last year to, to being here now, and I I don't know what the future will behold for him, but you would hope that there's a game he can get in there. But also at the same point in time, like it's it's got to be earned. It's not just yeah. going to be. You know, hey, we, we have to get this guy some touches or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I was that. just supposed to mention, remember, that's that was like Lance Leipold's calling card mm-hmm. was, if you come to this program, everything is earned. You're not guaranteed anything. And that's clearly the case, I think, here. I mean, even beside the injury, it's that's clearly the case. There's two receivers that I would put in this category that were surprised haven't played a ton uh, based on preseason expectations. It's Tanaka Scott and Doug Emelian. Like, with Tanaka Scott, it's a little bit of the off-the-field stuff that, I mean, it's a lot of it, I should say, that that kind of set him behind there. And then with Doug Emelian, I just, I don't know, maybe I bought into the hype a little bit too much there that he was still a young guy who didn't really play a ton at Minnesota last year, that this guy is more of a long-term player for you than he is someone who can hit the field right now and make this big impact. The way that Quentin Skinner has played, though, uh, obviously we knew what Lawrence Arnold and Luke Graham would provide. The way that Skinner has played, I'm sure it makes it a lot tougher to divvy out those snaps to maybe some of those other receivers. Now, Tanaka Scott did work his way out into the two deep this week. Uh, it's behind Lawrence Arnold, though, as opposed to Skinner. I, I definitely, both those guys, you know, when we were in the middle of camp, you would have thought both of them would have been two of the top four, maybe five receivers on KU. And right now, they're clearly both not in the top three. I don't know who you would give precedent over for being KU's number four if you would give it to Stephen McBride or one of those guys or what, but uh, they clearly don't have as as big of a role that, that maybe some of those other receivers do. Tanaka Scott's trajectory has been kind of a roller coaster. I don't think, I don't think like in the offseason, in the summer, he was expected to be a major impact guy necessarily, and then he gets a lot of hype around him in training camp. Uh, Andy Kolnicki was talking him up. Leipold was talking him up too about his his playmaking ability. And then obviously he has the out the field stuff happen, which really sets him back. Gets suspended for the first game of the season. And because of that, Quentin Skinner steps up and has been pretty much fantastic. I think. I mean, really, really good. And the the wide receiving core as a whole. I I touched on this briefly during yesterday's show, but the wide receiving core as a whole, I think has has been really, really good. And everybody has made plays when their number has been called. And I think that was a serious question mark. And even we questioned it about who's going to be the go-to guy. Do they need a go-to guy at this point? I mean, Luke Graham, Lawrence Arnold, Quentin Skinner, all of them have stepped up when they've needed to and made some really nice plays. So so overall, the wide receiving core, I think, has been a probably a pleasant surprise in the eyes of most. Uh, maybe not internally within KU's program, but I think externally, they were, it was definitely the unanimous idea of the wide receiving core was that that was the weakness of the offense. And I don't know that you can say that that's true. I mean, the rest of the offense has been performing so well, but it's not a weakness to the extent that we thought it was going to be, which is great. And part of that has been Quentin Skinner stepping up. And and Tanaka Scott, if he's able to continue to grow more into his role, that's even better for for, for KU. But, yeah, I think for Tanaka Scott, obviously the -the off-the-field stuff set him back, but we'll see. Uh, I, I would also throw Trevor Cardell into this conversation, sort of like it's weird. He had three catches. He had a touchdown on Saturday, so maybe he's making inroads. But it's funny. He only played seven snaps, so like talk about ultimate efficiency there. It's definitely been Mason Fairchild and Jared Casey who have, uh, I guess, captured the most here. Now, maybe Cardell can eat into Mason Fairchild's time because Casey has started to out-snap Mason Fairchild there. But that's one that 
it almost felt like Cardell was going to be the starter after camp, and now he's pretty much the third guy on the team. Um, Jared, Jared Casey, I think, has just proven himself to be so versatile mm-hmm. in what he can do that you almost it's hard to take him off exactly, the field. Yeah. Exactly. You almost can't afford to take him off the field with what he can bring to the table just holistically as a player. He's so versatile, and he's just he's an excellent run blocker, which we'll hear more whenever we get to his audio at some point later this week. He's He talked about a little bit about his run blocking as well, but he's just so great in so many different aspects of being on the field that he, you're right. He's, he's, he's almost invaluable. You can't even take him off the field. Um, so that makes it kind of tough, but Jerry Casey can play different positions. So, but again, I think this is another situation of the skill position players where it's just next guy, right? Next guy on the rotation, next guy on the field, whether it's Cardell, whether it's Fairchild, whether it's Casey, just next guy. Okay. Over on the defensive side of the ball, uh, what sticks out as far as players that you thought were going to play more headed into the season and in camp and, and maybe haven't done so yet? I think you and I probably both both agree. Eric Gilliard is maybe a guy that we thought would see more time but hasn't quite yet. With Lorenzo McCaskill, I think we both knew that it was going to take some time for him to maybe start to get more on the field, and we're starting to see that a little bit. And I think Ryan Borland said they used, they used six, line, six linebackers had 20 or more snaps against Duke, which is really pretty impressive. And that's great for later in the season, right? You're going to have some guys that are hopefully going to be more rested than they otherwise would have been. So I would say, you know, probably some of those guys, but it's not because any of them are not, I don't think it's any necessarily because any of them are struggling as much as it is. There's just so many, so many of them. I mean, it gets another case. It's another situation like the Jared Case situation where can you, can you really afford to take Rich Miller off the field that many for that many snaps or even someone like Taiwan Berryhill or, or now Craig Young, right? So it's tough, you know, so those guys I would say, but but again, I don't think it's because anybody is, is struggling or, or underperforming. It's just, there's just a lot of, a lot of guys that can make a case to 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 play, and at some point somebody's going to get a little short into the stick sometimes. Yeah, definitely the linebackers stick out. Uh, Marvin Grant, I think, continuing to rotate with OJ Burrows now. Um, he did play forty four snaps to Burrows forty five in the most recent game, so maybe that's closer. Maybe it's just they wanted that extra box safety up there against two big running backs that Duke had in the game. That's something I'm keeping an eye on. I, I do think both guys are going to continue to have a big role on the team, but I think you would have thought coming into the year Marvin Grant would be like the the sure starter there, and that hasn't necessarily been the case. Um, I, I think at corner, maybe it was a little surprising. Kalen Gervin has been more of the the nickel guy, the slot guy, and not one of the two starters, but I think Dotson and, and Bryant have shown themselves pretty well there that it makes a little bit of sense. But yeah, it's got to be the linebackers, and we're getting to that point in time because I, I said this at the beginning of the year. I don't know if Lorenzo McCaskill is going to like start right away, but I could see him being one of your best linebackers or your best linebacker by the time we get to week four, five, or six. All right, we're to that point. So uh, let's see if it happens now. If yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's quite there yet. No, but it's interesting because a lot of the guys that we just mentioned along that list are the guys that transferred in. So yeah, exactly. I think that tells you a couple things. One, it tells you that the current guys saw that and they used it as motivation to get better, and they did get better. And I think it tells you a lot about the development and the conditioning aspect from Gildersleeve, what they've done inside the program to get the returning guys better. And I also think it. I don't know. I, I it just speaks to Lance Leipold as a whole that you added this depth, but it wasn't just necessarily you overturned it by just bringing in new players. Like a lot of this was just internal improvement. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got some Brian Borland audio to get to you. That on the other side. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
KU takes on Iowa State this Saturday at 2.30. You can hear it here on KLWN as we take a look on the other side of things with what Iowa State's bringing in with the voice of the Cyclones. John Walters joins us now on the show. John, first of all, thanks for coming on. Uh, What are the thoughts kind of around the program right now, around the school with how Hunter Deckers has kind of fared uh, at the position through the first four weeks of the season after taking over with some big shoes to fill for Brock Purdy? Well, I think everybody's very encouraged by the way Hunter's played. You know, he got a few opportunities in the, over the last couple of years, um, was still able to secure a red shirt his first year on campus, and then last year as, as a red shirt freshman, got a few more opportunities to get on the field, and they weren't always in mop-up situations. You know, he went in against Oklahoma and led an important touchdown drive to help get Iowa State back in that game and came in against Iowa and had a, a touchdown drive in that game as well. So he got some really valuable experience in, in you know, big game situations and and did pretty well. And so I think everybody was optimistic that he'd be good, but he's been really good. And, you know, he's. I think the thing that surprises me most is just his completion percentage being up around where Brock Purdy's was. You know, I, Brock set a school record last year. It was over 71% completion percentage. And I knew Hunter had a really strong arm, probably stronger than Brock's, and could make some more throws deeper down the field and really put some zip on the ball. Uh, but I, I wasn't sure how accurate he'd be. But so far, he's proven to be very accurate. Now, that's not to say he's been perfect. He's missed some receivers, but um, he's thrown the ball very well, and he's really hasn't run the ball great yet, and I do think he's very capable of that. He showed that a year ago. Um, but so far, he's been more just a pocket passer, but we'll see. I, I think as time goes on, he'll get a little bit better feel for you know situations where he can tuck it and go. But uh, that's part of the growing process and learning. You know, this was just his first career Big 12 start um, last week against Baylor. Well, there have been some really good receivers that have come through Iowa State lately, and it seems like all of them are, are big body, win-jump ball type guys. Alan Lazard, Hakeem Butler, we saw kind of torch KU recently in Lawrence. Uh, Xavier Hutchinson is is kind of the new guy there for Iowa State. Not really new in terms of where he's been, but the current guy, I guess, is the better way of putting it. How, how would you describe Hutchinson's game and, and how he's thrived so much in this system for the Cyclones? He's not quite as big as the two guys you just mentioned, but he does still have decent size, and Xavier really goes and gets the ball, and he's really good with it after the catch. He's, he's able to make people miss. Uh, he's pretty fast. He has great hands. He catches just about everything. And he's led the Big 12 in receptions each of the last two years and been a first-team All-Big 12 receiver. So his decision to come back for another year at Iowa State was just huge for this football team. And it took a lot of pressure off of Jalen Knoll and Demetri Stanley and Sean Shaw, the other Iowa State receivers, to have Xavier come back. And he's come back with a real purpose about him. He's having an even better year than he's had the last couple seasons, and he was terrific then. So, you know, he's come back with a real sense of uh, trying to make a huge impact this year, and so far so good. And his defenses are starting to pay a little bit more attention to him, which makes sense. Um, you know, it should open some things up for those other receivers I mentioned to get some more opportunities. Jalen Noel had a career high in receiving yards last week. So uh, Xavier's presence out there helps everybody on the field, and he's just having a, a dynamite season really a kind of an almost a first team all-american type of season so far 
the defense has been kind of a calling card with Matt Campbell over this last handful plus of years, and uh, we've seen it kind of move on to the NFL level now with, with some of the things that they're doing schematically. Uh, what have been your thoughts so far on, on how that unit has played this season and what type of, I guess, offenses or, or things have typically challenged that defense the most versus where has it led to the biggest strengths for Iowa State? Yeah, I think that, that three-man front that Iowa State plays that a lot of people are playing now and three safeties, um, it, it's another good defense this year, very good. And, uh, you know, Baylor had some success against Iowa State a week ago. Baylor's so good up front, and Iowa State had a hard time getting pressure with its three men up front. That's one thing I think they're still kind of searching for is who can be those three best pass rushers on those obvious passing down situations you know, who are, who are the three guys you want out there that can maybe get pressure with just three so you can still drop eight back into coverage. And they haven't gotten as much of that kind of pressure so far this year. Um, their sack numbers are down a little bit. So we'll see if they can find that combination that works best. I mean, you still have Will McDonald, who's the school's all-time leader in sacks, and probably is going to end up being the Big 12's all-time leader in sacks, an All-American player. So, you know, he's going to get his opportunities. They haven't come as frequently so far this season but he'll get his chances and um they're just kind of searching for what works best but on the back end i think iowa state's really happy with its secondary you know it, it's a group that took some off-season hits with the transfer portal losing Aishim young and craig mcdonald young went to mississippi and and mcdonald went to auburn but the guys behind him are good football players and they've stepped right in there and have been ready to roll and so um, the, the, the safeties and then the corners have played really good football. And so it'll be interesting to see over the course of the season if that continues to be the strength of this defense or it moves a little bit more up front. Um, they have some veteran linebackers that are doing some good things. Colby Reader's been a really good addition as a, a veteran outside linebacker that transferred in from Delaware, and he's got a couple interceptions that has played well. So uh, it's still a very good defensive unit. I'm not sure if it's as good as last year's. I'd say it's right there in that ballpark, but uh, time will tell over the course of a, a really rugged nine-game uh, Big 12 schedule. It's certainly been a big discussion around here kind of week to week with the Nebraska opening and Lance Leipold as a candidate, and who knows what will happen there, who would or wouldn't take it, and, and who would or wouldn't get offered. But Matt Campbell's name is obviously someone else who's kind of been mentioned in that light as well. Has that been a big talking point in Ames this year, kind of akin to what it's been down here in Lawrence? Probably not quite to that level, just because we're so used to it by now. And, uh, you know, this is Matt Campbell's set. It's his seventh year at Iowa State. He's the second longest tenured coach in the Big 12 Conference, which is amazing to say, because from the minute he arrived on campus, people have speculated, well, the next time something big opens up, he's going to leave, you know, and and so his name has been mentioned with every job imaginable. And yet here he is still. And, you know, I think he really likes what he's building in Ames. Now, that's not to say he'll never leave, but I think fans have become a little bit immune to the, his name being connected to every job, and it should be. And, and same with Lance Leipold and same with Chris Kleiman, who's been mentioned for that job, and Dave Aranda. Their names are going to get mentioned for, for big jobs because they're really good coaches, and that's a compliment to them and to their programs. And so – you know, much better to have your coach being mentioned than not mentioned for jobs. And, uh, but at the same time, I think Matt's a little bit different guy. You know, I think he really enjoys 
the idea of doing something special, a place where it hasn't been done before. Uh, he's talked so many times through the years admirably about you know, people like Gary Patterson and Bill Snyder and, and Mike Gundy who have just built something special right where they are. And, you know, Matt's got young kids and they enjoy living in Ames. And, I'm, again, I'm not saying he'll never leave, but I really do feel strongly that he feels strongly about what he's doing at Iowa State and is in no hurry to rush out the door. So, okay, you're taking on Iowa State. Is there a player to watch for you from the Cyclones that you think uh, could have an advantageous matchup in some way in this game? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if uh, it's one individual. I mean, I, I do think Hunter Deckers, it's going to be interesting to see the quarterback battle because these are two really good quarterbacks. And, you know, Jalen Daniels having a phenomenal season, uh, such a great dual threat quarterback. And I think Hunter Deckers is kind of cut from the same cloth that he can be that dual threat, but he hasn't really shown the run side of it yet. Maybe this is the game where some of that starts to show up. Um, he did have a long touchdown run against Kansas a year ago, but I, I'm just fascinated by the quarterback matchup, you know, and, and um, there's some really good ones in this league. We saw one last week with Blake Shapin at, at Baylor. He's a really talented young quarterback. He played very well in Ames and leading Baylor to that win. But, um, you know, I, I'll be curious to see how Iowa State's able to defend Daniels. Um, do they have to put a spy on him to basically keep him from taking off and take, taking broken plays and turning him into something special, which he's so good at doing? Um, if not, you at least have to be very gap sound and, and integrity uh, to the gaps because um, Kansas is really good at getting you off balance and misdirection plays. And, you know, I've said many times, college football is all about space. The offense is trying to create it. The defense is trying to take it away. And, the more you can get a defense leaning one way, the more space you can create for an offense going the other way. And so Kansas is really good at that. And that's going to be the challenge for Iowa State this week is to be really uh, fundamental and, and gap integrity sound because if not, Kansas is going to hit some really big plays on you. I, I guess that, that answers the question about what you're kind of looking for from the Kansas side uh, of things in this game. But is there one kind of, I don't know, key or, or theme that has been so far for Iowa State that they've done well when things have gone right for them, either in wins or just when they're playing well over the course of the game versus the opposite, where if this isn't happening, it's it's going to be a little bit harder for them to find that success? Well, I think it, especially in this game, tackling in space is going to be critical, and a lot of it comes back to what I just talked about, about not allowing as much space you know, limiting uh, space as much as possible. But once you're out there in space, making sure tackles. Iowa State's corners are very good tacklers. Miles My, Purchase um, and TJ Tampa are very good tacklers. Their safeties come up. Anthony Johnson, a former corner, uh, has moved back to safety. He's a good tackler. Bo Freeler, who got a targeting call early in the game against Baylor after missing the game before. So it's been a while since Bo's been able to play. He's kind of the middle safety on Iowa State's defense, and he's a very good tackler. But tackling is going to be critical in this game. Uh, Kansas is going to get those talented receivers out in space. They're going to get uh, Devin Neal out in space and Highshaw. They're going to try to get those guys out where they can go make plays, and Daniels himself will be out in space as often as possible. And you're just going to have to be able to be really good at getting them to the ground. You know, I, I think if you give up explosive plays where it's 70, 80 yard plays, 
uh, man, you're in a lot of trouble. If you force Kansas to really have to earn their way all the way down the field with sustained drives that are maybe 9, 10, 11 plays, there's a better chance that at some point along the way they'll stub their toe and maybe have a tackle for loss in there or a penalty or something that kind of stalls out the drive. But if you're just giving up you know, two or three play drives that are going the distance of the field, you're in a lot of trouble. So I think Iowa State has to keep stuff in front of them and do a great job tackling, maybe, taught it, maybe not take as many risks, you know, I, I just really be sound and gap uh, integrity is going to be critical for, for slowing down that Kansas offense, which has been one of the best in college football this season. Yeah, definitely interested in that KU offense against that really good Iowa State defense. That's uh, going to be certainly – uh, a good learning experience for, for how good both units are and, and should be fun to help determine the matchup. Well, uh, John, I appreciate you coming on and, and taking some time out of your day to hop on here and uh, enjoy your trip down to Lawrence. Hope you have a safe travels and a fun stay. Thanks for having me, Derek. Really appreciate it. That was John Walters, the Director of Broadcasting and Voice of the Iowa State Cyclones, helping us take a look on the other side of things with Kansas taking on Iowa State on Saturday. Once again, you can hear that game on Saturday right here on KLWN with our KU pregame show with Big Mill. Nick Springer and Scott Chasen will be out there from noon to 1 o'clock. And then we'll have a Crimson Blue show from 1 to 2.30 with kickoff at 2.30 over at Memorial Stadium. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. Coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour, we're going to be joined by Clark Campbell, the head coach for the KU Swim and Dive team. We have some more audio to share for you today, and we'll get to our KU defensive notes in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll be back after this timeout. Got a special guest joining us now with Clark Campbell, the KU head coach for the swim and dive team. They start up their season later up this week. And, Coach, you've been with the program over 20 years now. Uh, how much different are things for you? Uh, how much different are things in the program from when you first began and all of a sudden now here in 2022? You know, really not a lot. Um, one of the hallmarks of our of our team is that we're really committed to be consistent. And, um, you know, we've had, we, we've made some changes here and there over the years, but really the, uh, the, uh, the, the day in day out is, has been pretty much the same for, for what, 20 plus years. And, and, uh, so, um, the really it's, it's the, the athletes have gotten faster. Um, you're recruiting them a ton earlier. Um, and, um, uh, but really everything is, is a lot like it was 20 years ago. The, the, the sport is built on consistency and, uh, it's something we established right off the bat and they've continued it till this day. Talking with Clark Campbell, the head coach for the KU swim and dive team and, four straight second place finishes in the big 12 how high of a bar ha has kind of been set from these past teams in years past and what are kind of the expectations is, is that kind of the thought every year like the the new kids that come in it's hey we gotta you know be one of the top teams in the conference yes definitely um we we've been exceptionally blessed the last few years of having really a, a really strong team and it's um uh, been a, a you know a huge testament to their their work ethic, um, our staff's work ethic, um, you know the, the recruiting that we've been doing and the development that we do with our kids. 
Um, but that, that is, that is the standard and, um, it's, it's going to be, we lost a terrific class last year and we're pretty young and have a lot of, of new blood in the program, which is exciting. But at the same time, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's this team, it's, it's their, it's their journey. Um, you know, so we'll see how it all pans out and it pans out in the end, but, um, um, you know, we, we really focus on, on, you know, being, being the best we can be and being the best day in and day out and let the end results kind of take care of themselves. Um, but, um, um, it, we've, we've had a nice run for a while. We definitely want to keep it going. Kate Stewart had a unbelievable season for you guys last year Has obviously graduated away. Uh, what can you say about what she brought to the program and, and the big shoes that she's leaving for someone on the team to try to fill this year? Um, she, Kate left KU, one of, one of our best, one of our best swimmers. And, um, uh, she not only did it in the pool, but she, she did it in the classroom. She did it as a, as a leader, um, and, and a person in the community. So she, uh, she really had just an outstanding four years and to see her progress to where her final year, she was an Olympic trials finalist. Um, she um, uh, went to the NCAA championships. That's going out the way you wish everyone uh, goes out. So I don't know if you ever replace that type of, of, of person on your team, but you do allow for some more opportunity. And um, so uh, we're, we're, you know, this Friday we'll see who's going to gonna step into, the, in, into that role. Uh, but um, um it's it's you know again this is just that new team new new era type thing, uh, but uh, Kate definitely came in and set the bar really high. So who are some of those new athletes or, or athletes that have been on some of the past teams that you're looking to you know have a, another step forward this year that we should kind of be on notice for uh, on the Jayhawks? Uh, I, I think again you know our teams are senior led. And, um, um, so we really, you know, on, on this few as we have, uh, we really draw on them a lot to help us through the year, but we're real excited about, uh, Dewey Blos coming back. Um, she's, she's, uh, uh, she's taken a fifth year and, um, she was an inside of the qualifier in 2020 and, and that was pulled out from under her because of the COVID. Um, so she's back to, to get back to that level. Um, we have, uh, Kayla Brown, who's, um, our, one of our top sprinters, uh, Amelie Lessing, um, uh, really good butterflyer, I am her. And so we're really going to lead, uh, lean on that, on that senior class. But, uh, some of the younger folks, uh, to keep an eye on, um, uh, Molly Robinson, a breaststroker who, um, is, is, you know, making her way, um, you know, kind of learning the ropes collegiately. And, and I think she's, She's uh, maybe not right away, but I, I, I do see a, a huge upside for her as she develops through our program. Uh, Emma Schott, another freshman uh, from Nevada, uh, and she she was you know really top level swimmer. And, and then and, and COVID hit Reno really hard with the, the the amount of pool closures and no facilities and that type of thing. So she's getting her wheels underneath her, but you can already see that it, it's coming back. Uh, pretty quick. Uh, Claudia Dugan, uh, she's a a junior and um, uh, was a NCAA B qualifier last year. And uh, she's going to, you know, she's going to take even more steps forward this year. Uh, Ellie Wehrman, one of our most versatile swimmers, uh, she's she's a junior. So, um, uh, you know, we we are, we are, um, 
you know, doing doing well in, in the in the swimming lanes, and then we also have an infusion of three freshmen on the diving boards that I, I think will will help us out, and and um, definitely have a shot to going to NCAA's as well. From a I guess just sport perspective, you know, when you think of freshmen coming in on the football field, you think of needing to add weight and muscle and and all this stuff, and I'm sure there is a, a level of conditioning and and that sort of thing uh, from your sport. But what are some of the similarities and differences to swim and dive with players that are coming in from high school, what you can teach them, and uh, in what ways you're most trying to kind of boost up their game from where they were out of high school compared to maybe some other sports? Yeah, that, that's all part of our athlete development program because that that's our calling card. Um, a program like ours does not get – the 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 five star recruit. Uh, we're the ones getting the twos and threes and developing them over their over their time. So the first thing that they they, they learn is is the ability to manage themselves. Um, in, in college, it's it's kind of you're all on your own. Um, uh, swim and dive um, is an individual sport with a team result. And so you've got to learn how to take care of business. We often talk about it as that we do a great job of the 20 hours a week we're together training. It's really the other 148 that you've got to go out there and win. And so it's about leading yourself and making those good choices and decisions because our sport is such a training sport that uh, they've they've got to learn how to make sure that they're set up for success uh, every single practice. And then the other thing, too, is that they they need to learn how to train because up until this point, when when a kid gets to college, They've, they've been grinders. They go in and they work really hard, and, and um, because of their hard work, they get faster. Once you get to this level, it's about working smarter because grinding only takes you so far, uh, but to get that top-end speed where you see truly elite-level talent, you really have to learn how to train. And it, it isn't going in and, and giving 110% every day. Um, it's learning how to give the appropriate effort at the appropriate time. Because if you don't, you're, because, again, it's a training sport, you can dig a really big hole um, uh, with, with physical, mental, emotional fatigue that's really hard to dig yourself out of. So uh, we, we teach them early and often of, of learning how to, how to, like we use heart rate monitors with them. And so after every practice, we're able to evaluate, they're able to evaluate, and the coaching staff's able to evaluate the actual effort that they put in uh, kind of from, from the inside. And uh, so they, they learn the value of training smarter and, and um, they're able, you know, then to go faster because they haven't been grinding every single day. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line that you got to learn how to, how to, how to walk. Uh, but that's, that's how you get faster in college. Is there an event that maybe you feel best about headed into the uh, opening meet on Friday? Yeah, our our backstroke uh, group is really is is really top notch. You know, we we talk we've definitely seen you know the the, the 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 success that we've had on the football field, and I would say our running back room for KU football is loaded. Our backstroke room for KU swimming is loaded. Um, that's that's going to be our calling card uh, this year. Um, we're 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 well. You know, we 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 have a lot of um, of team diversity. Um, throughout the team, you know, we, 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 you know, there's a couple areas where we could be better, but that, that's just opportunity for the next person up. Uh, but our, our backstroke group is, is, is really special. And is there anything that 
you're looking forward to to learning or just seeing in action uh, for the first meet of the season on Friday? Yeah, we we talk about our our, our season divided up into three parts. We we um, we form, then we norm, then we storm. And um, right now we're in the forming stages. And, you know, through the first month or so that we've been together, you know, we're forming a team. And this period will last all the way up to about Thanksgiving. And so this is going to be our first competitive test of what this team is going to ultimately form into. And then once we form it, then there's a normalizing thing of like, okay, this is who we are. This is our identity. This is, this is just what we're about. And then, you know, we spend a few weeks in there, and then at the end of the season, we storm into the championship season. So um, it's, it's right now uh, still a growing process, a developing process of what this team identity is going to be. And uh, so far in, in training, it's been awesome. Uh, but, you know, our sport is about competing and what we see on race day. So our thing is, is um, let's just use each opportunity as a chance to learn. I've given them some challenges for this Friday of, of – maybe look at this thing a little different and, and um, make you better in the end. Uh, but uh, this is our first competitive forming opportunity that will take, uh, that it will be the first step of the rest of the year. So what does this coach Clark Campbell, what do you like to do in your off time when you do get some time away from, uh, you know, coaching and, and being around the campus? Uh, well, there, there's not a ton of time for that, but uh, I still uh, <laughs> uh, really enjoy spending time with, um, you know, um, uh, my my family. Um, you know, three grown children that are all over the place. My son is actually uh, a Lawrence native. Well, they all they all are, but uh, uh, they all swim at Free State High School, and uh, he's followed Dad's footsteps. He's coaching at Lindenwood University in St. Louis. And so I'm really enjoying watching him grow in the, in the uh, profession and, and get a chance to talk shop with him. And, you know, all, all three swam. You know, my youngest, uh, uh, Claire, just graduated um, uh, last year and is getting ready for PA school. And, and then our, our middle, Sierra, who also swam at Free State, she's, she's in Alaska. Uh, with her husband. So, you know, keeping up with adult children is, is a new, is a new thing. And so my wife and I are, you know, doing a lot, you know, we're, we're planning trips to Alaska and, and all that type of thing. So that, that takes up the vast majority is just trying to, to, to keep up with our, with our grown children. Well, that's a great answer coach. I appreciate the time and uh, hopping on here and good luck this Friday. Good luck on the upcoming season. All right. Thank you. That was Clark Campbell of the KU Swim and Dive team joining us here on Rock Shock Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We'll be back after this timeout. Welcome back in to Rock Shock Sports Talk here on KLWN. Looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. Give them a call today. We have some uh, Andy Kotelnicki audio that we'll get to you uh, momentarily here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, but we're going to have a uh, some college football talk, college football segment here. Very generic way of doing this. Um <laughs> I would just like to mention off the top here, the Arkansas-Texas A&M game, so A&M wins that by two crazy. points. That should be an Arkansas win. The rule <laughs> for, and I'm not just saying this because I picked Arkansas in our game picks. I, I was also an Arkansas. Okay. Wager. So you can support this for me. 
the rule is if a field goal or if the ball goes over the the upright, the post. Yep. If it goes over it. Yep. I'm visualizing. And it's literally directly okay. over the post, yep, but it I is it. over it. Okay. It counts as being a good field goal, which okay. I don't know why. That doesn't really make sense to me because technically it would be hitting well, the upright of extended. Why right? should a kicker be punished for just having that awesome of a leg? Because if they're hitting it that strong, but it's inaccurate and the post would have just been five feet higher, <laughs> it would have hit the post. But I guess I understand why, because... Who's to say that if it crosses over part of it, it wouldn't bounce in if it hit right? There you go. So I get it. The field goal that Arkansas kicked down by two to try to take the lead, literally, I'd never seen this before, hit the top of the post. Mm -hmm. Like, as if if somebody was... directly on top of it. Yes, as if somebody was like trying to climb up onto the roof of something. I was upset. Yes, and it hit the top of it. So why does that not count as a good field goal? If you're saying anything over the field goal post, if it goes over that, it's good. Why should that not count as a good field goal? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Mm. Uh, and and clearly nobody from Arkansas considered it because they just let it happen and nobody, you know. It's just such a moment imagine of like. Imagine if they try to challenge that. Imagine if like the <laughs> they try to challenge. But like, yeah, I don't know. Listen, but yeah, as as an Arkansas plus one and a half mm. better, I was also oh, brutal. I was also <laughs> re- really upset about that. Um, You're like, can that at least be worth one point? <laughs> I get it. They'll still lose the game, but I can win the yeah. bet. Well, and also I just A and M is not good. They're just <laughs> not good. I don't know what I don't know how Arkansas lost that game. Anum's not good, so that was that was disappointing. Um, not as not on the flip side though, as as disappointing as that was, it was equally gratifying slash hilarious to see how Missouri lost to Auburn. Yes, that was great. I really loved that. Uh, the guy fumbled it, <laughs> fumbled it out of the end of the end zone. On yeah, the game, which way on would, would you, have been the game winning touchdown? If you're a fan of the team, which way would you? I guess. Are you going to say, like, rather lose? Yeah, I want to put it as, like, which way would be more excruciating. Definitely fumbling into the end zone. Okay. The field goal. Like, kickers miss all the time. Yeah, that's that's not that big of a deal. I mean, you know, I guess if we had, like, a Bears fan in here and we asked them if they'd rather be double doink or (laughs) have a guy fumble in the end zone, they might have a different opinion. But from an outside perspective, I think absolutely fumbling into the end zone to win the game is way worse. Or it's like – I don't know if you saw Byron Murphy on his fumble recovery for the Cardinals. It was actually yeah. like really close. He almost dropped the ball before he crossed the, the goal line to win the game in overtime. Could right? you imagine that? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I think fumbling, No, there's no doubt in my mind fumbling would be worse just because, like you said, kickers miss all the time. And also, like, if a guy is about to score a touchdown, you, you, you're, you have, you're like, you're excited. You're about mm-hmm. to score. You know what I mean? Whereas... They kick a field goal. You're just already you're already stressed as it is. Then they miss, and it's like okay, whatever, right? But it's like to have your heart ripped out like that <laughs> if you're about to score. Yeah, and you fumble. Yeah, the, I guess the equivalent to that would be if like a bird flew into the stadium on the field goal and ran into the ball, and they're like, "Sorry, that's part of the game." <laughs> you know, it's equal playing field. Yeah. What would happen with that, by the way? What if? Yeah. That's a great question. I we should. I, I'd love to get a ref on here and just ask him like insane <laughs> hypotheticals like that. Well, I mean, obviously, the what make what comes to mind when you stop mentioning that is the Randy Johnson hitting the bird. Right. Which, I've seen the video, but my question is, did oh, they yeah. actually count the pitch? As a ball. It it was, they called it, it didn't a ball. Cross through that? No, I don't know. I'm oh, just okay. saying it should be. It didn't cross through the strike zone. <laughs> um, but that like would they let you? But you know, if they let him redo the pitch, then you should be able to redo a kick if that's a bird fair. Hits the ball, the football. Yeah. Right. I think that's fair. Uh, but. There is a part of me that's like, if they don't have a rule written for that, 
You know, if I was if I was a fan, you you bring in a bunch of like pigeons or something. Oh, put them in your coat pockets, okay. and then if they're kicking a game winning field goal, fly my little birdies. I don't know. <laughs> there's just a lot of there's a lot of flaws in that. <laughs> <laughs> in that plan. You think so? I don't even know where to begin uh, in terms of trying to unpack hey, I'm that. I'm going through a metal detector. It doesn't have a bird detector on it. <laughs> um, by the way, if Kansas played Missouri, because Missouri has not been good this year. They they dealt with this whole Luther Burden thing. Their top-end recruit scrubbed everything from Missouri on Apparently Instagram. Apparently everything's he fine. Went out, yeah, he said everything's Apparently okay, so I don't know what fine. the goal was there. Um, <laughs> but Missouri's not very good. They're, they're bad. If Kansas was playing Missouri, how many points would Kansas win by this year? Because it's unfortunate. They are restarting the rivalry. Yeah, but you wish it was this year. So uh, what, I'm trying to remember what the line was against K State. Well, right like, now on our trusty uh, Action Network, uh, I'm gonna be honest. I don't, right, know, I don't, how know, how I, I don't know how much I buy your your little whatever it is. Well, it's not me. This is like a, a, an well, industry I thing, think which it's I you think because you're the one that always brings it up. No, I I think I, it just gives me a good reference point of where Vegas would be at for the game. Okay. Um, which I think to me reading this is. Continually, Kansas still has not been caught up by on the sports book. I talked about that with deep deliberations the other day because this only has Kansas as a two point favorite on a neutral field. So it'd be five wow. points if it was in Lawrence. And I think if you put that line out there, <laughs> Vegas would get crushed. <laughs> so, and I don't think Vegas is stupid enough to do that. Yeah, they really have not caught up, caught up to no. yet, which is interesting. Is Kansas, I think Kansas could beat them by double digits. Yes, easily. I think I mean, Houston's be better by, than Missouri, right? I think they should be favored by double digits. Yeah, I think KU that's fair. Be. That's pretty crazy to think Every about. Every team KU has played this season besides Tennessee Tech is better than Missouri. <laughs> is there even a is there even is that even a question? I'm just I'm hmm. I'm saying it as a statement. I think that might be right. As a statement of fact. Missouri's not good. Uh by the way, Clemson put up 51 on Wake Forest in their win over the weekend. That was the big question. We knew the defense was there. We knew they have a really good defensive line, but could the offense could DJU Pick it up now. A lot of they that started was, their other guy. No, DJU started. Still. Started uh, now. Some of that was because it went to double overtime, so it's going to balloon your point total. But they still put up thirty-eight points on the road against the top twenty-five teams. So I, I just have to assume that Wake Forest defense is not very good. It's not. I don't know it anything. Not very good I don't really know anything about Wake Forest defense. No, I mean I just you would be have accurate. To assume that they're not very good. You would be accurate, but are you seeing enough right now? Like. And maybe this is not even about Clemson. Maybe this is about other teams, like with Oklahoma losing and with other teams and other conferences yeah, I mean, showing flaws. Clearly, we know Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, like those three teams, maybe even Michigan, if you just want to say whoever wins that Michigan-Ohio State game, uh, are going to be playoff teams. Are you at a point where you're kind of penciling in Clemson as the fourth team, or are you not there yet? I think they're pretty close. I mean... I don't know what the rest of their ACC schedule looks like up top. They got of my NC head. State this I'm week. I'm guessing it's pretty weak besides NC State because it's the ACC. So, from that standpoint, if they beat NC State this weekend, they're probably going undefeated, I would assume. I don't think they, I mean, I, again, the ACC kind of sucks. So, they got 10th ranked NC State this week. Okay. At they, Boston College. Did they play Pittsburgh? Uh, they possibly could in the Big 12 or the ACC championship, but they don't on the regular season. At Boston College, who stinks. At number 23, Florida State. That could be fun. Hey. Syracuse at home was undefeated, but how good really are they? Hey, I don't know. Yeah. At Notre Dame. They have a bye weekend between Notre Dame. This has been a, yeah. uh, Louisville at home, Miami at home, South Carolina at home. So they're probably going undefeated. Yeah, I mean, you might look at the Miami game, but after I mean, the, even if they the trip up weeks. one of those games. Miami just lost to Middle yeah, Tennessee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even if they trip up one of those games and then they win the ACC at 12-1, and one, it might get you in. Let me ask, I don't. I don't me, think anybody's gonna have one loss from the Big Twelve. Let, let me ask you this, Derek. Mm -hmm. 
would it be crazy if if the CFP was Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan? I mean, it'd be crazy from like it happening in terms of like what it would mean. Could um, and obviously, yes, I think it could. It, you think it? Yeah. Uh, okay. The only reason I question that is because Ohio State and Michigan. Play. I don't think it's likely. Yeah. Ohio State and Michigan play, so that would be from like a if you want to put on your tinfoil hat here from like a rating standpoint. Like Michigan's obviously a huge brand, but like nobody nobody's gonna buy into it if you put them again in against Ohio State. I think what would have to happen is like that so would suck. Let's say because it's it's at. It's in Ohio. It's in uh, Columbus this year. So let's say Ohio State ha- wins the game in overtime over Michigan, okay. and that's Michigan's only loss. And Michigan's like just you know rolling through the, teams the rest of the way because of the way the Big Ten set up, they w- they Michigan wouldn't have would, to play in the Big Ten title. Big, yeah. So they'd be eleven and one. Then you'd have Ohio State. They win the Big Ten. They go thirteen and zero or whatever. Same thing for the Alabama Georgia game, except their matchup is in the SEC title. But both are twelve and zero, or the one who wins. Was eleven and one, so now both teams are twelve and one or thirteen and zero and twelve and one. So both of them are making it. Ohio State's making it. Then at that point, it just comes down to Michigan at eleven and one, or in this scenario, Clemson at twelve and one, or pick your Big Twelve or Pac twelve champion. Again, I kind of am under the assumption I don't think there's going to be a one loss team from the Big Twelve. No. I clearly at this point there's not going to be a one loss Notre Dame. They've already lost twice, um, <laughs> so they can't be as part of it. BYU. Yeah, BYU out. Like, there's no group of five team like a Cincinnati last year. So that uh, kind of takes the cake there. And then, do you think USC can get through with one loss? It's possible. I don't think. I don't think there's going to be a Pac-12 team with one loss. I think every Pac-12 team will have two as well. So at that point, would you take a one loss ACC champ, Clemson? I think they would because they'd have the conference championship game. They'd have the extra game there. But it's not unthinkable because the Big Ten is going to have a lot more ranked teams than the ACC is by the end of the season, I would imagine. Yes. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, Michigan, for them to go 11-1, and one, they're going to have to beat Iowa. They're going to have to beat Penn State. They're going to have to beat Michigan State. Yeah. Ohio, Ohio State, they obviously play Ohio State. Like, if if, if they are 11-1, and one, it will be a legit 11-1 and one for sure. That's actually a very good um, – but if that happens, like that's a good hypothetical. But if it happens, you know how I rate like all of college football outside oh, yeah. of those that's, two that, conferences. That's what I'm like from an optic standpoint, mm-hmm. from like a tinfoil hat standpoint, like you, you that would be terrible. terrible. Yeah. I mean, uh, see, this is tough for Michigan though because. But I don't. But I mean, is Iowa gonna end up being ranked? Like, but I mean, if they put Clemson in and it's in the the playoff is Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, like that's not exciting either. No, it's 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 not really from a, a neutral viewership perspective. But like I'm looking at Michigan's schedule now, and I don't think they're going to have the the schedule if if they don't beat Ohio State. Honestly, what they need to happen. They play Penn State, don't they? They do, but like and Michigan. Well, I guess Michigan State sucks. They're not ranked anymore. Yeah, the Michigan only State teams State that are ranked on their schedule are Ohio State and Penn State at this point in time. Now that could change. Another team could pop up in the rankings. They play Iowa though. They play Iowa this but week, but they're not ranked right, right? now. So they play Iowa this yeah. Week. And if they beat Iowa, they're further away from being ranked, which they're not right now. So <laughs> they're kind of in a tough predicament there where you would almost need for that scenario to happen, what you're talking about. Maybe you need I Michigan. to lose twice. Yeah, maybe you need or, – or maybe you need Michigan to win the Big Ten and Ohio State be the one-loss team because they have the non-conference win over Notre Dame and you hope Notre Dame goes 9-3. I don't know. Uh, I do not want that to happen. But So, so you say 13-0 Michigan and 11-1 Ohio State? Yeah. That probably gets it done, or maybe you know, both teams go eleven and one, and I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of a weird scenario, that, but it, that it's, not impossible. That it's would, not impossible. It's not impossible. Objectively, that would suck if it was two Big Ten, two SEC teams. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, which uh, which current top 10 team in the AP poll do you think has the best chance of finishing unranked? Okay, I think I'm looking at Kentucky or Tennessee, probably. I know Tennessee just beat Florida, but Florida suddenly maybe is not as good as people thought they were. And the the other reason I'm picking these two teams is because obviously the SEC is just so good that those teams, if they have a bad month, they could easily lose two or three games, Tennessee or Kentucky. Yeah. And they both have to play Georgia. So one of those teams, I think, might have the best chance. And also, I'm going to float this one out there, NC State. Mm-hmm. That NC was going to be what I was going to say. kind of maybe overrated. Barely beat Eastern Carolina. Mm-hmm. Not looking super great. We're going to get a real measuring stick on them, I guess, against against Clemson. But they could easily kind of fall off also. Yeah, they could lose at Clemson and then the very next week lose at home to Florida State. Yes. They still have Wake Forest on the schedule at Syracuse. They're at Louisville at North that's Carolina. A, that's, like, a, that's a tough schedule. Yeah, they could lose four games and, and not be ranked. But yeah, like, I think I think for Kentucky and Tennessee. If I, you said the loser of when Kentucky and Tennessee play, like, yeah, you know that. Well, might and I think it, for but. Kentucky and Tennessee, it's not so much of a well, they're not very good or they're overrated. Just, they could it's be seven five. A, exactly, it's more of a they play in the SEC. Mm-hmm. They're gonna have to play Georgia. They're they're both. They could lose easily. Lose, you know, like I said, if they have a bad month, two or three games. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're gonna take a timeout. When we come back, we've got some audio from Andy Kotelnicki, the offensive coordinator for KU. That coming up next. Five o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We've got some Jalen Daniels audio that we'll get to you here in less than 30 minutes from right now. There is a Prime House Direct gigantic truckload event going on right now. It started today, runs through Saturday over in the parking lot of Menards in Topeka at 6401 Southwest 17th Street. And you can go get like 20 ribeyes for $39.99. They have some bundle and save options. You can get buy one, get two free bundles. You can get a quarter cow. You can get a half cow. So stop on by to the Menards in Topeka for the Prime House Direct gigantic truckload event. On to our KU defensive notes for week four after the game against Duke. One thing that kept popping up to me as I watched the game and then I rewatched it on Sunday was the... The, the willingness of the defensive backs, and specifically here with the corners, coming up and, and having a willingness to making tackles. Because when you look at both Kobe Bryant and Melo Dotson, neither one of those guys are very, like, built, right? They're both, they have good length. They're, you know, six foot, six foot one, six foot two, whatever, which is good size for a corner. But they're like 160, 170 pounds, <laughs> skinny guys, don't have a lot of of frame on them. And both of their willingness to get in there and make some hits on plays where either the quarterback was scrambling to the outside or uh, the, the play just kind of went to their direction and they had to come up and make a hit, I was really impressed by that. And I think that shows the ultimate buy-in of a, a program. If you can get... You know, if you like, if you have receivers who are willing to block, if you have DBs who are willing to tackle, it doesn't mean they're going to make every tackle, but like it's the effort there themselves. Marvin Grant was up on a ton of plays. That dude is is just, you know, trying to make a big hit on every single play that comes his way. I, I think that's really important for KU that they do have that buy in, and those guys are willing to make those plays. Marvin Grant is a heat seeking missile on run plays. He just like. It was, it was crazy to watch him. I mean, just full speed. He obviously had the huge hit that I think most people probably remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one and there were a couple the times he got kind of ran over too, but like yeah. it was a constant willingness but to yeah, put his head in there. Yeah, and and, and Melo Dotson kind of got hurt actually trying to stop a run on one play as well. So 
you know, they're obviously putting their bodies on the line and, and trying to make plays. And, 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 yeah, I think that's kind of Marvin Grant's M.O. Like when we talk about him and O.J. Burroughs, uh, with the discussion around O.J. Burroughs, it's been so much about his coverage and his instincts and everything. So it seems like they've got two different safeties that do two things, different things really, really well. And that's why we see sometimes, you know, them they're splitting snaps pretty evenly. But it's like Marvin Grant is clearly more of a downhill, I'm going to come give you some pain on the pain train from Marvin Grant as a, as a safety, whereas O.J. Burroughs seems to be more of a coverage guy. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the secondary coming down and, and you know, that's something that you it, – it kind of goes back to that question of, like, you don't want your secondary or your safeties to lead your team in tackling. Like, that's not exactly what you want. But the fact that they're willing to, to come, down, come down and make those plays and help out obviously does speak a lot to the mentality of the defense as a whole. And, and, and again, I mean, Brian Boland has said it, the run defense for KU, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It was really bad last year. And it was something they focused on trying to get better. And it seems like there's, it's starting to bear fruit a little bit because they, they really did a pretty good job of containing two really big Duke running backs. I mean, those guys are both six foot over 200 pounds, both those guys. And KU, for the most part, pretty much limited them to, to not any big runs. So, Yeah, and it, it took, you know, team effort in, in that regard. So yeah. uh, really impressed by that. Speaking of the DBs with Colby Bryant, that dude just – wants to make big plays after big plays. Sometimes I, I wonder if he goes for the kill shot a little too often, but I think that's just part of who he is. He's going to give up some big gains. He's going to give up some plays that, um, you know, maybe he could have just tried to deflect the pass or, or make the secure tackle and keep it at a five-yard gain. But he wants to go for the pick six. You know what I mean? He wants to go yeah. for the big interception, the game-changing play. And I think that's okay to have um, as long as you're making enough of those good plays to kind of counteract it. But it's just like it's it's almost to a point for me now where like I go into every game and I'm like, okay, Kobe Bryant wouldn't be surprised if he gets a pick here. He just yeah, yeah. he he's willing. I mean, obviously there was the West Virginia one. He had the 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 return on the blocked field goal uh, by Tennessee Tech for a touchdown. Again, like you hope it doesn't come back to hurt you. And that low key has been something that I'm a little bit worried about here with the pass defense. Um, you look right now, KU's given up over 67% or, or like 66% uh, pass completion to opponents so far this season, which is the lowest mark in the Big 12. And it's not just the lowest mark in the Big 12. It's the lowest mark in the Big 12 by like 10 percentage points. And I know everything's not just about, you know, completion percentage. There's there's other more important stuff. But I think that just tells a little bit of a tale there. And I'll be honest, like I am kind of impressed with Romello Dotson. I think that he does a pretty good job when I look at the two big pass plays he gave up in the last game, like, I think those are just really good throws and catches. I look at Kalen Gervin, like, they went two for six targeting him, but one of them was a 38-yard reception. Again, I don't think it was bad coverage. I think it was just a better throw and catch. So, uh, I don't totally know what to think of the secondary and the pass defense because I do kind of like some of these guys individually with Kobe Bryant and Romello Dotson and Kalen Gervin, but it's got to get better for KU moving forward. Yeah, and Kobe for Kobe Bryant, I mean – the style of defensive back that he plays, it's it's replicable, and even to the NFL level, there's guys in the NFL that have played this way. I mean, he's uh, you know like Trayvon like Diggs, Marcus Peters, mm -hmm. he, yeah, Trayvon Diggs, Marvis, Marcus Peters. There's other guys like that that play that style of corner, and yeah, I think I think to have a guy like that on your team can be very useful. You know, it's it's nice to have somebody who, in the secondary, is an aggressive opportunist who's not willing, who is not scared to take a big risk to try to make a play, right? Who is not afraid. Uh, of the repercussions of trying to go for a big play, you know that that's 
that's a certain value I think you can have on a defense. And and we mentioned it, you know, we've mentioned it before. It's it it, it kind of changes, I guess, a little bit more with how well KU's offense is, but still, you know, causing turnovers. That you look at one of the years, I think it was 2018-2019, where KU's defense was successful. It was because they forced a lot of turnovers. And you you need a, you might need a guy like Kobe Bryant on your team if you want to force more turnovers. So from that standpoint, yeah, it is it is nice to see and and I agree with you. I, I think overall the, the secondary they've got some good individual good individual players. And I think the question now is, is there's still a question of the pass rush to me. The pass rush I think still has some some questions to be answered. Now, I feel bad for Lonnie Phelps. Lonnie Phelps just gets absolutely bear hugged it seems like on every play. <laughs> Like, just the most blatant holdings you'll ever see in your entire life, and they never get called. So I feel bad for him from that standpoint. But there needs, I think there needs to be more more production across the board, not just from Lonnie Phelps, but across the board from the pass rush because that that's another thing that's going to take down that completion percentage that you mentioned is if you're making a quarterback throw under duress or if you're flushing him out of the pocket or this, that, or the other, his completion percentage is probably going to go down. So that's one way you can do it on top of you know playing coverage on the back half as well. Yeah, uh, I, I think that I'm I'm curious if there's going to be a game in there, and we'll talk more about this later in the week when we get to our KU Iowa State preview. But that if Lonnie Phelps can just have like a takeover game like he did against Tennessee Tech, but do it in like one of these big games upcoming. Yeah, um, he's getting so much attention at this point though from offenses though it's tough and it's been a little hit or miss with the pass rush. Like it was everywhere against Tennessee tech, but it should be in that game. And then you have the West Virginia game. You don't get any sacks. Then the Houston game pass rushes all over there again. And then you go back to last week against Duke and it wasn't really there as much. So it's been a little bit inconsistent. And I do think there is a bit of that to Duke's offensive line was a veteran offensive line coming in and they have been pretty good over the course of this season. Same goes for West Virginia that, against the better offensive lines. Maybe they're just not uh, as able to get as much of movement and chaos and pass rush and everything. That could be problematic, though, because more of the offensive lines you're going to play moving forward in Big 12 play are going to be more to the ilk of those teams. So other players have to step up. We've seen some of it from Caleb Sampson. We've seen at times guys make big plays, whether it was the Eddie Wilson fourth down. I know that wasn't a pass. Yeah, there's been guys making big plays mm-hmm. in the run from the D-line. Yeah. Like the, the pass rush so much has not really been there, uh, which has been, uh, I, again, I, I don't think disappointing is a fair word to describe it, but it's been not where I think we hoped it might be at this point in the season. If you could add one player from last year's team onto this year's team, would it be Kyron Johnson? May, yeah, maybe on the other side. A little bookended else. pass rush. Yeah. I think that has to be the answer. We we talked about that before the season started, but I'd be curious, kind of circling back to that now. I I still think that's probably the answer there. Yeah. Um. I I I did see something interesting in that game against Duke, though, with the Lonnie Phelps thing. That so Duke's best offensive lineman is their left tackle, and typically your best pass rusher is going to line up on the blind side of the quarterback that's going to be going up against the left tackle, and that was the case kind of early in that game. And I I don't know. I I haven't. I don't pay enough attention to some of the, you know, X's and O's film stuff enough, but um, I don't know if this is something KU's been doing or if this is an adjustment they made in the game specifically that I noticed a lot more that in that game against Duke as the game went on, KU started moving Lonnie Phelps to the opposite side where he was going up against the right tackle. And it felt like when he got a lot of his pressures or a lot of the plays that like there, there was the one holding call that was called 
it was going up against the right tackle. So I'll be interested to see if the defense and Brian Borland can come up with, you know, unique ways to kind of move him around the field and keep defenses from keying in on him too much, keep defenses from being able to say, hey, we're just going to line up the tight end over here. We're going to have the running back go over here and chip block you. If they can move him around a little bit more and keep it unpredictable where he's coming from, that would be pretty pretty huge to, I don't know, maybe that's something they unveil this week because as much multiplicity as the offense has, it's maybe a little bit tougher to do that defensively, but that's one way that you could kind of do it. And I think the other aspect of this is KU has not been very aggressive so far this season in terms of bl- in terms of blitzing. They have not been uh, an aggressive blitzing defense up to this point in the season, and I don't know if that's something they might consider doing more of. Maybe uh, I mean you've got a, you've got a, a good group of linebackers that are physical, versatile guys that you could probably you know design a, scheme up some stuff like that. I don't know if that's something that that they're interested in or that they want to do more of, but. It, it doesn't seem like they've been overly aggressive in that area so far this season, and that could change, I guess. But that's another area where maybe if they feel like they need to get more pressure, they might do that. Uh, because I, I am curious. I mean, I mean, how comfortable would you be with leaving a guy like Melo Dotson or Kobe Bryant on an island one-on-one against somebody? I know that's, to me, the immediate red flag to that is, well, the – quote-unquote elite receivers that KU has played so far this season have pretty much torched them. Mm-hmm. Go back to West Virginia with Bryce Ford Wheaton and, and even Nathaniel Dell for Houston. He did, his numbers weren't crazy, but he was still he still had an impact. And now they're going up against another one this weekend against, against uh, Iowa State with Xavier Hutchinson. So I don't know how much you'd maybe want to do it this week, but maybe that's something you consider is if, if you trust your corners in coverage as much as, you, as much as it seems like they could potentially play up to that level – Maybe you could mix in more of that stuff. But I think it's definitely concerning coming into this game specifically with Xavier Hutchinson for Iowa State, but that's something maybe in the back pocket for later on this season. I don't know. Yeah, and you're right. The the Xavier Hutchinson thing just adds a whole new element there. But uh, when I look at Hunter Deckers, like he's completing 84% of his passes on short balls, 46% on medium passes to 10 to 19 yards. Like, Can you force him to, to keep the ball in his hand a little bit longer? And then when he's under pressure... He's completing 59% of his passes. When he's kept clean, he's completing 76% of his passes. So, Well, uh, yeah, and then you go back to the Houston game. Mm-hmm. The Houston game was a great example of that where Clayton Toon was holding the ball a long time on and, most of yeah. his dropbacks. And the, the times that he was scrambling, it was not because he was getting pressure. It was because you know the internal clock went off and he saw a scramble lane and he took off. It wasn't because he was under pressure necessarily. But, but yeah, so that game, I think the coverage was good from K. That was probably their best coverage game, honestly, the Houston game. So if they can have more of that, maybe, and force Deckers to hold the ball, like you said, then that could lead to more success. What do you view to be the defense's like strength or identity of this defense? Do they have one? I don't know. I mean, you're almost tempted to say maybe the maybe the linebackers. They have so many of them. They're all pretty good. I mean, we could just say run defense. I mean, they've been pretty good against the run. Yes. They've been pretty good against the run. Uh, they're still in the bottom half of the Big 12, but they're not in the bottom two spots. Their uh, teams are averaging three and a half yards per carry. It's also tough, too, when you look at, like, stats right now um, for in terms of, like, this is where these teams rank in the conference because in KU's case, they have played a conference game. They have played two other, essentially, in the case of Houston, power five teams, whereas some of these other, like Oklahoma State has I mean, played Iowa, Iowa nobody, State, right? Yeah, Iowa State had played 
nobody before. I mean, yeah. they played Iowa, but the, but the but other, Iowa's the other not going to do anything on offense. The other two games were against an FCS school, right. and I think another FCS school. So it's a little else. incongruent when you look at some of these stats, and you're like, oh, well, this, you know. But overall, KU's run defense has been pretty good so far. If you give up three and a half, three point six yards per yeah. carry the rest of the way, like you would gladly take that. So I guess oh, okay, my bad. Iowa State played oh. Ohio, not another FCS school. Ohio was pretty bad last year. I don't know how Ohio forty three to ten. They played Southeast Missouri and beat them forty two to ten. Well, this is this is back to back weeks too now that KU is playing a team that we don't really know like how good they are. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. with Duke, it was hey they're three zero, but they haven't really beat anyone. With uh, <laughs> Iowa State, it's like okay they beat Iowa, but their offense is so bad. And like is Iowa how, how good is Iowa? I don't know. Um, Ohio. Yeah. I mean, I think the I Baylor know. game kind of gives you a, a decent idea, but even like when we had Kevin Flaherty on yesterday to talk about Iowa State, he said, you know, this is a young Iowa State team that has a lot of young talent that maybe it hasn't necessarily fully blossomed in the way that they might later on in the season. So now there's this question of, well, what what will this team look like later on in the season? Which, again, like Kevin Flaherty said yesterday, that might favor KU to play them this early in the season right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I guess back to the defense, like, how much confidence do you have, I guess, in this matchup specifically with Iowa State? Because Iowa State has not lit up the scoreboard. They've got a good running back. They obviously have that star receiver. The quarterback has been kind of hit or miss so far this season. Like, is it? I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, I think I think if you hold if you hold Iowa State to twenty eight points, that's probably a pretty good performance from the defense. Iowa State, though, offensively, like West Virginia, scares you more on offense than Iowa State does, right? Yes. Houston better, scares better, you more on offense than Iowa State does, right? Uh, yes, I would say so. Probably I think it's probably close. Or pretty close. Pretty similar. Duke is. I don't know. That one's tough. I Duke was pretty get, impressed with Duke's offense. I I was too. I was impressed with the quarterback. I think Riley Leonard was a lot better than I got thought. Big he was running playing. backs. They had some actually pretty good weapons on the outside. I, I think they're comparable. So if you gave up thirty to Houston, twenty-seven to Duke, and they're pretty comparable, then. If if I were to say the defense gives up twenty eight, like you said in exactly. this game, right now, KU, KU you feel good about gives that. up twenty eight points. Is KU winning that game? I mean, it's not a guarantee because the Iowa State defense is that good, but you feel good you feel that you good. Have, yeah, yes, yes, you feel pretty good about it. Yeah, if you guarantee me the KU defense can hold Iowa State to twenty eight points, I would say I'll take it, and we'll see what the offense can do. Exactly. Let yeah. Jalen Daniels go to work. Just, yeah. Let's he, see, what the, see what the offense can do. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout when we come back. Jalen Daniels spoke with the media earlier today. We'll share that for you on the other side.